Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20 minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call and we can take it from there. Today on Focus on Why, I'm joined by Richard McCann. Welcome. Hello, Amy. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. Oh, you're very welcome. So let's dive straight in. What is it you're focusing on at the moment, Richard? Thank you for asking. And I am focusing on something that I've been trying to focus on and have been, I guess, uh, procrastinating over the last couple of years. And that is my, I guess, my work in schools. You know, I've been speaking for a number of years as, as a motivational speaker. And I did start that speaking career in schools all those 18, 19 years ago. Uh, but I don't do a great deal in schools now. So my focus at the moment is the I Can for Education actually uh, program uh, resource, which uh, we're looking to roll out throughout 2024. And, um, you know, maybe I'll look back at this recording at the end of the year, maybe or some point in the future and think, oh, yeah, that's that's when that's just before we rolled it out. So that, that is what I'm focusing on uh, at the moment. In fact, most of it's created. It's just about the marketing now and putting together the, I guess, the, the way in which we get to the, the clients. And tell me why schools now? Why schools now? Well, a, a couple of reasons, to be fair. Now, I am in my 50s. I am 54. Now, I, when I first started speaking in schools, I was uh, 18, 20, almost 20 years uh, younger. And I could, I felt I could connect with the, the, uh, the young people, the learners uh, quite easily. And I still can. But as I'm getting older, and I'm, yeah, it won't be long before I'm 60, I'm not, I'm not sure how how receptive they will be as I age. So what we're doing is, and I've I've already done it, is I've created a number of keynote presentations for the different age ranges, and at least my age is set now, and that won't uh, it won't I won't look any older. But to be honest with you, I, I got the inspiration because last year, in fact, a couple of times, but last year a college asked me a question. Said we've got six campuses, we'd like to bring you up uh, and visit all six campuses each day for a week that will be 30 showings or 30 presentations well that wasn't going to be physically possible so i said i tell you what i could do i could record myself and give you the license to show that as many times as you want over that week over all six campuses we did that it went down really well and and that's when i thought you know what maybe i should do more of this to make me more accessible and it leads it actually leads to my why and the purpose which we'll get into so so, so i guess that's where the inspiration came from uh, and bearing in mind that you know i'm a busy speaker and and, and very often i i can't get to school because i'm I, i'm either speaking globally or i'm speaking for a corporate i'm doing some presentation schools somewhere so it's sometimes it's very hard to get into schools and of course i don't want to drive all the way down to cornwall from leeds to, to speak in a school for an hour so 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 this is a way of you know, uh, reaching more people, uh, not aging, uh, and continuing to do the work that I've been doing for 20 years. And what is it particularly that you want to motivate the younger generation to do or be? 
you know what? And I, and I, I thought about this morning as I was shaving and I thought, what, what, what is it about me and my work? And why do I want to do or why have I chosen to do the work that I do? And what it boils down to, it boils down to, I mean, this is not just the work in schools. This is just the work in general and, and me as a person. It boils down to wanting to make a difference. Now, in relation, not leaving a legacy, in relation to young people in schools and colleges, I don't want or I want to do my best to help those young Richards. And when I was at school, <clears throat> low self-esteem, hated myself, suicidal thoughts, all this negative self-talk, I don't want to have young people feeling or thinking like that, or at least if they find themselves thinking, as young Richard did, that they know there's something they can, they can do about it. So, so, so that's why I particularly like young, uh, speaking to young people. Um, and in fact, even on my desk here, you won't be able to see this, but I've got on my desk I've got a, a printout from, from, uh, from a young person that I got, just coincidentally, uh, she sent me this in 2009. And it was a workshop that I've done with young people. If you could do anything, what would you like to do in five years' time? And she listed it. Uh, starting with do well in my GCSEs, go to university, etc. There was like 15 things. And she wrote to me five years later to tell me that she'd achieved all the things on her list. And, uh, and I'm, in fact, I'm going to use that image as part of a workshop that I'm creating. And, and I looked into her this week. That's why it's on my desk. I looked into this young person to see what are they doing now? She's just finished her third degree. So I think that's a fantastic you know, example of what can happen when some young person sets their intention about what they want to do with the world. So, so, and, and it's that kind of thing that I want to do more of, or, or actually, in this case, uh, to, to equip the teachers to do more of that with me not being there. So essentially you want to be a teacher who's not static in a school. Yeah, I suppose I do. Yeah. And this young Richard sitting in the audience, hearing the speaker from the front and understanding that there could be an alternative world from the one that he's living in at the time. So he's, you know, he's got this low self-esteem and, and suicidal and negative thoughts. What's the shift for him? What, what is it that the message that he hears that is like, oh, wow. That, that realization, well, this is for all people, not, not just young people, but that realization that we are, well, and I say this, we are all walking miracles. And we sometimes forget that. And the only reason that we sometimes feel the way that young Richard did is because of our environment, the, the, maybe the lack of family support, the fact that I've been in care, the fact that I lost my mum in tragic circumstances. It's all these external things that shape your belief and thinking. And it's actually not true. It's not true. That's what I wanted Richard to think. And now I didn't think that as a young child. It wasn't until many years later as an adult that I realised that, that the world was my oyster, as long as I was willing to uh, apply myself, that is. And so, so that's what I want. And in fact, just this week, just this week, and it's, I put it on LinkedIn. I'm not quite sure when this goes out, but at the time of recording this, I was on LinkedIn. Sorry, I was on a train. It's on LinkedIn. Uh, this week, coming back from London, and a young man, a young man was talking behind me. As we got off the train, he spotted my suit. I had known for my suits. And he said, oh, nice suit. And I said, yeah, I, um, I got to look the part. So he said, well, what's the part? Uh, he'd had a drink, actually. And, and I told him I was a presentation skills coach. And then as we, were, we got to the taxi queue, we were going to share a taxi together. So he said, well, what do you speak about? And I, went, and I didn't even tell him what I spoke about. All I said was, well, what, what it was, when I was a child, my mum, and he went, oh, no. I said, I know who you are. I've obviously aged because it's, it's, it turns out 17 years ago in, in Nottingham, I spoke in his school. And he was excluded from school. But for some reason, the teachers got him in that day that I was speaking. 
and he never forgot my story. The guy is a very senior player for an organization called Salesforce. You might know Salesforce. He's a big hitter and he's done ab and it's not down to me, but that day I'd like to think that I helped change the way that he thought or, or what he thought was possible for him. He came from a council estate. He was, you know, excluded from school. And so there's just another example, isn't there, of just these little touch points, these the ways in which we can all, not just me, impact those around us. And I guess that, and that, and that's what it's all about. So I, I believe, obviously, it's never the same, you know, virtual or recorded, but I still believe that I can make a bigger difference by, as I said, you know, creating this resource uh, so schools or Little Richards or this, this young man uh, can get a little bit of me wherever they are on their journey. So share with me, you, you've, just, you've just given two fantastic illustrations of people who have come back to you and shared with, with you what it is they've gone on to do as a result of hearing you speak. There are going to be so many people who don't come back to you, and that's okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's like a teacher. I mean, teachers teach thousands of children or hundreds each year. And they, they, they never get to see, do they? Or they? They very often don't get to see the fruits of their labour, but you, you can bet your bottom dollar that they'll be impacting on them and you know, helping shape their futures and just in the same way that I do. And, and in fact, I've got a great example of my own teacher that, that made that difference uh, with me, although he did get to hear about it, but he encouraged me to take part in the public speaking competition at school. That's Mr Hill. He saw something in me. He saw some potential. He got me on that stage. And I think that was a, the start of, well, a seed that was planted because uh, I won the competition and it, and it started to improve how I saw myself. I mean, I still had a lot of work to do, but it certainly was a, uh, an example of a, of a teacher, you know, making a difference. But uh, of course, the, as I said, they don't get to see the, the success stories, but they'll be there. And the whole belief, Richard, the whole I can that you, the message that you have and coupled with these serendipitous moments or encounters and also with the unleashing of potential what do you see possible well the, the possibilities are, are limitless and i often say this and i include myself in this that we will never do everything we have the potential to do you know you mentioned serendipity there and, and, and it, it, it's actually something I do like to speak about, but not in my corporate talks. I'm on about those those chance meetings. Uh, in fact, I've just I've just had a, a serendipitous moment before I got in the office. Um, so I have to I have to explain that. So so today uh, um, is the anniversary of the day we lost my sister Sonia, um, six, sixteen years ago today, uh, at twenty five past nine. Uh, so I was just sending a, a video to a family member, and and, and at the end of that. Um, call. I ended the call, and I, I thought, I just thought to myself, oh, I wish Sonia could, you know, send send me a message uh, from from the other side. And uh, this has never happened, Amy, ever before in my entire life. When that video ended, it became like empty, so that the video was there, like it was like a minute and a half in length, but it was grey, it was greyed out, and it was like so. So the video that I'd made had just disappeared. But I guess the carcass of the video was there. It's like, what? And I took a screen grab so that I could maybe talk about this later, but it's just happened. And that was a, a serendipitous moment. Is that right? Um, where some things happened. I just spoke about Sonia on the anniversary of she de she, her dying. And then I asked her to make a, send me a sign. And that happened. Anyway, sorry, it's a, it's a bit deeper. Maybe not the, 
the 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 path we were supposed to be going down but i couldn't help but mention that because it just happened no, it, that's exactly the path we go down here on this show tell me what did it mean for you well the, the thing that springs to mind what you mean this morning well that one meant to me that that was that was sonia confirming that she's around and i i have had countless um of these serendipitous things i'm sorry i did not intend to speak about this but now that we've opened that little can of worms you see, me and my sister Sonia, who and I know many of your listeners will not know my story, so just just to kind of um, cover that, we lost my mum when um, when we were five and she was seven uh, uh, to, to the serial killer Peter Sutcliffe, uh, and that was our you know our bond, uh, and, um, and we won't get into the early life, but I mean this is possibly why I had low self esteem. But me and Sonia, we had this thing about the number forty four. We don't know why we have this thing about the number 44. We just love the number 44. And she would, as we went through life, she'd share news items and stories and, what you know, all the time. And then it wasn't until recent years, in fact, when my first book came out in 2004, I, I thought, let me just check this. And I checked. My mum died on the 30th of October. And I looked, and I almost, when I, when I looked, when I, when I began to look at this, I thought, I know, I know the answer to this. That's actually week 44. In, in, in the Western world, week 44. And then when I looked, and I don't know why I looked into this, but I did. And what I worked out was, and people can check this for verification, her killer, Peter Sutcliffe, lived with his mother-in-law the night he killed my mum. And it turns out that it was house number 44, 44 Tanton Crescent. And what I've just discovered in the last few weeks by listening to a crime podcast, uh, Laura Richards, um, that he was actually employee number 44 of 49, of the organization where he worked clerks so so we didn't know it at the time but that 44 had some special significant spiritual meaning to us uh, and and when i discovered it then it, it, and by the way my children they're, they're into it as well they spot them everywhere and it just so happens that this today is the 16th anniversary which is four fours isn't it so it's, it's really ironic that she would in my opinion anyway send this message to us uh to let her know that she, she's still around so so i just i had to share that i didn't intend to but you mentioned serendipity and, and and it's these beliefs that I have about the world that just help me navigate that, that you know, some of those traumatic things that's happened, not just my mum, but losing my sister as well. Well, thank you for sharing. And, and what a special day it is today. Yeah, thank you. It is. And um, I, I can't wait to share that with her daughter, because obviously her, her daughter's um, feeling it today. So I want to just give her some, I don't know, comfort that mum's mum's still around. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, isn't it, how we have attachments to to numbers, but then they they come and they repeat themselves. I've got a couple of friends who are very into numerology and what they mean, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. And absolutely, if we can find some kind of solace or some kind of comfort in something that, and especially as you said, it had a bond, which is is beautiful. You know, it, there's, yeah. a, there's a connection there. Absolutely. And, and it actually links to what I've said about the purpose, you know, making the world a better place for, for people. Finding that meaning in those numbers makes the world a better place for me uh, and, uh, and hopefully for others as well. In fact, I know for others, because when I wrote my latest book, where I explore this in great detail, um, although it is uh, 2018 it came out, um, it, I've had letters from people, uh, including the person, sorry, somebody that was involved in the book with me. Uh, she, could, she, she decided not to charge me for her services because at the time of her editing and going through the book, um, a family member passed away 
and she took so much comfort in reading and about what had happened with Sonia and the 44s and the triple fours uh, that she just felt she she couldn't charge me, which was beautiful. Um, so, so there you go, making a difference. And I love that. By the way, if anybody's interested in, in that book for free, all you have to do is find me on social media, which we'll talk about at the end, and they, and they can have a copy of that book on audio for free. Amazing. It's actually, I, I don't know what, what that's linked to this as well, but I was listening back to some tapes that I recorded as a, a young child. Well, I, I don't know if I, yeah, I did press record because I can remember talking about it. Can I do this and press this button? And in the background, the radio is on and it was speaking of the case of Peter Sutcliffe in the background. And I was listening to it literally just the other day. Wow. Like, I know. So hang on, a tape? So you're talking from years ago of his tapes? Yes, it's like it's like a proper old tape, I'll show you. Um, like one of these. One of those old tapes. And on it is is the radio report in the background. You are absolutely kidding me. No, it's a, it was talking about his arrest. So I'll have to listen back to it and uh, I can share you that snippet if you're of interest to you. That's blown me away. <laughs> For you to be sharing that, that, that's one of those serendipitous, comforting synchronistic moments that yeah. I love and that's incredible yeah. isn't yeah. that incredible and an old tape from god knows when and it's just in the background well, know, actually, actually that's that's not um, like back in the 1980s is it it will be it'll be yeah no. a long time it'll be in fact to be even younger well, I'm trying to think. well, what would well he was arrested been? in 81 he was arrested okay. in 80 yeah so I would have been about Five, six? No, that's just blown me. I'd love to listen to that little snippet, Amy, at some point. That has okay. blown me away. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that's just a moment in time, like a time capsule, isn't it? Yeah. Dear me. All right, I will I will make okay, a note now you. and I'll sort that out. Right. Sorry. Back on track. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is the whole thing about when we're talking about life, purpose, meaning. It does take us on different paths because no one path is the same. And and yet there are so many interwoven connections yeah. and it always blows my mind when for example when you go on holiday and there's a whole world that you've never seen before all these people are, are going about their daily business they're doing what they've been doing for days before and will continue to do days after but you never knew they even existed and you then go back to your own home and there's all this life this is almost like what you do is you drop into a school or a company or corporate they didn't know about your maybe maybe they do because of your story, but they didn't know about you before. But then you then change their world, their thinking, and then they go back to their world and you come out of it. And it's only when you get a letter or or you, a chance meeting in the taxi of someone several years down the road that your worlds collide again. Yeah, that, that, that is fascinating. And, 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 you know, in fact, going, going a little bit deeper. It's one of the thought process, processes that I've had over the years. Uh, and that is, and this might, we might lose some listeners at this point. There's a part of me that believes that I was always supposed to go through the things that I've been through to go on to do the work that I do. That it was almost like predestined, pre-planned. Pre and because some of those miracles that we haven't got time to talk about now, but these just unbelievable mind-blowing things that have occurred just, I've just got to, when you put them all together and lay them out, which I, I've done on a couple of occasions, including in the book, and it just, it's just mind-blowing. And it just tells me that there's, there is more to this big plan, this world, than we, than we understand. And um, 
and that's comforting. It, it means for me, in my case, that mum's death, Sonia's death, it, it actually wasn't what we think it is. And 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 that's it does continue. And and that thing this morning and your serendipitous moment on the tape, these are all evidence of those synchronistic moments. We just can't sometimes articulate it. And I've spoken about this before on the podcast that it's not a gift, it's a catalyst. It's a it's a moment that then changes your trajectory for whatever reason. And and that the suffering and the the pain at the time is a teaching. And it's it's certainly not uh is not easy for sure i'm not and i'm not going to say you know you're not saying that either but but you do believe that you were meant to experience those yeah. events and, and and actually as a young child and i can't remember but, but before Sutcliffe was caught so i was 11 when he was caught so i, I don't know eight or nine years of age laid in bed i'd had some kind of beating from my father i, I can distinctly remember which bed i was in where it was it was in the afternoon thinking this or words to the effect of the world as you think you know it is not the world as you know it and everything you're going through is meant to be because you're going to go on and you're going to impact the world when you're older not quite like jesus but you know you, you're going to in, in a big way i remember thinking that laying in bed and I, I, I didn't know anything about you know speaking and training and writing books i just i just that had that thought and it's not one that i had very regular but i remember thinking it and thinking oh that's a strange thing to be thinking um but i suppose it was maybe a coping mechanism like trying to reframe the situation but um how interesting that 30 40 really 40 years later and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work that i am doing uh it's crazy you say it's crazy but time and time again i've experienced in these conversations people who have had an early realization but battered it away or, or not necessarily battered it away, but sometimes just ignored it, suppressed it. And then it's as you get to this stage in midlife that the realization manifests in, in a, an actual ability to do it. And this is the thing about purpose from, for me is that you over lifetime are constantly creating it, nurturing, evolving it. It's not something you find. It's It's been something that is a constant throughout and you just bring it to life at this point more so than ever yeah and and as you say this whatever this is that we're talking about it is there isn't it it's around us all the time but you know we get we get busy with life and we we sometimes very often we don't see them or we're not open we're not, we're not open to accept these things and if i remember if i think back on when was it 2006 how many years ago is that well whatever 18 years ago i was on my way back from a I was on my way back from an event. I just started speaking. So I was at university as a mature student. I just started speaking. So I, I didn't have this vision to I'd be a full-time speaker. Actually, I'd been to my very first professional speaking association conference at the Belfry. And I, I saw a speaker on stage and I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder whether going to university to, to become a social worker is not the thing for me. Because again, I wanted to make a difference in the world. And, and I, I didn't. I wasn't brave enough to make the decision to leave university, which is what I considered, and, and and take that brave step. And then four days later, on the way back from Shrewsbury, I got on a train, changed at Manchester to Leeds, and so this is serendipitous. This is could have just chance. I sat down at a table, and a man opposite me. I got my Sony Vio as it was back then, this big thing the size of an LCD screen. I pulled it. I opened it. This man just started talking to me, and afterwards, he told me that he felt compelled to speak to me. And and I don't know why he doesn't know why, but he felt compelled to speak to me. And we started a conversation. 
and he ran a training organization. It turns out he ran a training organization uh, called Pant um, Pint. What's that? Partnership in Training. I think it was called Barry Stainthorpe, I recall, now retired. And he said, so what do you do? And I lied. I said, oh, I'm a motivational speaker. I wasn't a motivational speaker. I think that was November. By then, I'd probably spoken 10 times that year, mostly for charities, Samaritans. But I, I kind of wanted to give the impression that I was an established speaker. And he said, maybe you could do some work with me around the world. And we then arranged to swap contact details. Bearing in mind, this is four days, four days after I saw the speaker at the PSA, five days, and I was like wanting to make this brave decision. And then we agreed to meet up and I left that train. I got off the train at Leeds thinking that was my that was my nudge from the universe. I just started listening to The Secret, actually, 2006. That was my nudge from the universe. The person placed in my path to make the decision, and I walked away from university the next day, determined to be become a speaker. And in the end, I never saw him again. So we we arranged. We were, I was going to go to his house in Scarborough, sit down with him, and discuss how we could work together. And it never happened. It just never happened. In fact, on the time I was driving over to actually meet him, my wife called me back. Said, "Oh, Isla, sorry, Sky, my eldest, uh, she was ill." So I ended up never meeting him. But I didn't need to meet him. He'd done his job, which was to give me the nudge, the evidence that this the universe or whoever would want you to do this. And uh, and the, you know, over three thousand keynotes later, the rest's history. I believe he was placed in my path. So, you know, somebody else might not have seen it that way, but I firmly believe that that was meant to be. And, um, yeah. Did you ever return to university? No. So it was a four-year extended degree. So I didn't finish. I didn't finish the degree. I was doing a social policy degree. And um, I, didn't, I didn't finish it. I didn't return to it. And, I mean, I went to university to make a difference, to become a social worker, I believe. I'm, I'm, I'm probably making a bigger difference to more people's lives than I would have done had I got, you know, boxed into that social work world. Um, although there is a place for that, but it wasn't for me. And what's the, the message from that story? Well, <clears throat> the message is I should have maybe listened to my instinct when I made that, when I wanted to make the brave decision at the Professional Speaking Association conference, I was actually asking other people, oh, do you think, there was guest speakers from America, I was saying, oh, what do you think, should I? And they were saying, you need to make that decision. And I didn't make the decision. I felt like I needed the universe to help me make the decision. But maybe the lesson there is, you know, follow your dreams, follow your ambitions, follow those little messages, your instinct, because it probably knows better than we do or our conscious mind. Maybe I should have taken that step anyway. And because this is an audio, people can't see that you literally just grabbed your gut when you said, follow your dreams, follow your instinct. Yes, because, and, and yeah, and they do say, don't they? I think there's, there's, there's more of your brain in your gut than there is your head. I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. Um, don't quote me, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and yes. in fact, if, if, and I didn't intend to speak about this, but what I didn't do is listen to that feeling back in 1997 when life took a detour and I basically got involved in recreational drugs. And I was set up by a, a police informer to get some ecstasy tablets for him. It was, a, it was a setup, basically. And as I was driving to this meeting, in my gut, I knew, I knew I was being set up. I even remember driving on, on the slip road onto the motorway in Leeds, the inner city motorway. And I saw this little, it was like a, a drain cover. And I remember looking at the drain cover and thinking, in years to come, you're going to look back at that drain cover and remember that you had this thought process and you ignored it. And I thought, oh, I'm being paranoid. I'm being paranoid. And within like 15 minutes, the police had pulled me over. I was on the floor 
and uh, and it went to prison. My gut knew what was going on. It knew, and I ignored it. So uh, the lesson there is don't ignore that feeling. Don't ignore that feeling. And I didn't intend to speak about this, but I'm going to because it's come to mind. There's an incredible book out there called The Gift of Fear by, is it Debecca? I forget the first name. And, and it's basically about those signals that we hear or feel, they are there for a reason because it's more intelligent than you. And very often, and this is in relation to, you know, sexual attacks and such like thinking about mum, if she'd maybe listened to that feeling inside that she had, that uneasy feeling, she may not have got in his car that night. Uh, and, but it's one of the best books I've ever read. I was blown away by that book, The Gift of Fear, and uh, and listening to those those survival signals, they're called. That fear is a thing, and it is there to save your life, uh, which is why it's called a gift. Sorry, I didn't intend to speak about that, but it seems appropriate, and you never know who needs to read that. I think we all need to read it. Yeah, and I've just checked. It's Gavin DeBecker. Gavin DeBecker, that's it. Okay, brilliant. Again, the the course of the life that you've led, would your would you have any regrets about the prison time that you served, or was that meant to be too? Do you know what? Maybe everything's meant to be. Maybe everything's meant to be. Had I not gone down that path, sorry, had I not been arrested that day and gone to prison. Maybe I'd not have sorted my life out because although I wasn't really a big time drug dealer, I was on a weekly basis going out taking drugs. I've lost friends through drug taking, a number of friends over the years, and, and maybe if I'd have continued down that path, something similar may have happened to me. In fact, when I was arrested initially, I was in the prison cell in the police station. That's exactly how I coped with it. I, I told myself, this is exactly what's meant to happen. This is, forgive me, this is God intervening or whoever, the powers that be intervening so that you can take a better path. And eventually that's what happened or what wasn't easy as that because when I came out of prison, I I formed a suicide pact with my sister, Sonia. And um, on that occasion, she didn't do it because, well, she attempted to kill herself and asked me to join her. And that's what brought me to my senses. I got her into hospital, saved her. And then I, I then eventually saved my house and, and started rebuilding my life. That was 1997. Uh, obviously, you know, I, we talked about this. Sonia did take a life uh, ten years, ten years later. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my point is that was the start of the turnaround, um, and 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 it's actually equipped me, or um, yeah, allowed me to go into prisons, numerous, probably twenty prisons, to share my story and help other people maybe think about making more positive, better choices in in their lives. In fact, I do know because I've been contacted over the years by people that have have gone on to do just that. Having heard me. Yeah. And would they have taken on board your message as, as credibly if you hadn't have had the experience? Uh, probably not. Probably not. So, uh, so maybe, it, I mean, I'd rather, I mean, it was a tough time. It really was a tough time, but I, I lived to tell the tale. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but it was, it was one of the most challenging experiences of my life, I have to say. Uh, but, but we get through these things. Do you believe that life is not meant to be tough or challenging? No, it would be nice if it wasn't challenging. But I believe, and it's, we'll get into some of the content from a talking, but I do believe that if you don't have the challenging things, you, you actually can't have a, a good day. You, you've got to, to have a, something good. You've got to have the opposite in your life to appreciate that it is good. So you need to have those challenges. Like you, you can only have up when, because down exists left and right, et cetera. 
Um, and one of the workshops that I do is on, on resilience. I, I show, I don't know if you've ever seen, but I show the bounce backer graph, the ups and downs of life. So if you're in a good place, you're in the green, above the line. Uh, if you're in a bad place, you're in the red, and it's up like, like the stocks and shares price is going up and down. And I haven't met a person yet that spent their entire life above the line in the green. I mean, it would be nice. But when I share that graphic on screen, and people do their own, actually, when it's interactive, um, we look at their first setback, the first period in the red. And not only do we always bounce back from that, there's more post-traumatic growth. That's we, we grow in ways we wouldn't have grown. That's Calhoun's work. We grow in ways we wouldn't have grown had it not been for that period in the red or that challenge or that traumatic event. And I think I'm the person I am today. I think my whole purpose in life to make a difference, to make people or the world a better place, stems from what happened when I was a child. It's got, it, it, it simply is. That, that has, I don't know what would have happened. I'd have not lost mum in the way that we did. But because I did, I think it's shaped my who I am as a person and what my um, purpose is or what my belief is and what I share. It's, it's all kind of meant to be. There you go. I had no idea really, when we sat on here what we we're going to be speaking about. And uh, But thank you for allowing me to uh, dip into some of these subjects because it's not for everybody. I appreciate that. And as a father yourself, navigating parenthood and, and navigating this this journey that you've been on, how is it that you are encouraging their paths that they're taking? By the way, I'm a motivational speaker. You would think that I could motivate my children really easily. It is difficult, even if you've got children of your own, but but uh, you'll know how difficult it is just for the, the average person in the street. So for me, what's been really difficult is knowing how to parent well. And I've made mistakes, we all do. Um, but what I have tried to do over the years is get my children to, one, appreciate life, um, but secondly, to understand that the, the world is their oyster. And... Um, and honestly, I must, must share this. My wife, it's a few years ago now, was putting the youngest to bed, Isla. And Isla turned around to her mum and said, oh, I'm so excited about tomorrow. And Helen said, what's happening tomorrow? And she said, I don't know yet. And I thought, that's got to have rubbed off. The way in which I speak, I mean, gratitude, all the rest of it has got to have rubbed off on her. I, I love that. But you may or may not have seen over the years that I've, I've gone on to inspire my own children to do... I'll take those brave steps and we've got footage of my son age eight speaking to 3,000 people because he wants to be a motivational speaker. Oh, at least he did as a young child. He's a teenager now. He's probably gone on the back burner. And then my younger, the daughter Isla, who's now 13, she also followed him in his footsteps and she spoke, albeit only six years of age, but she ended up speaking, speaking in front of 400 people at one of my Icon Live events. So uh, I'd like to think that, uh, yes, it is difficult and I'm still learning lessons, but uh, I hope a lot, a lot of my thought processes are rubbing off on my children, and um, but but it's tough. And what I'm having to do as a parent is sometimes just want to appreciate how difficult it is, and so I'm more forgiving of my father because he didn't have the wherewithal, the resources to parent very well. Um, but I'm having to be a bit more forgiving than my father was of our behaviour. Than yeah, just because you know it's hard being a young person and. Um, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to make some of the mistakes that my dad did in, in relation to bringing us up, but but it's difficult, it's difficult. And, and I'm sure that they, they manipulate me in some ways. And, uh, uh, but yeah, anyway, it's it's a, it's a it's work in progress. It's a learning curve, uh, but I, I love them dearly. And I'm so appreciative 
of them being in my life because, you know, as a young adult, I never thought I was good enough to be a, a parent. So I'm grateful that they're in my life. I love that. So one of the, the words that keeps cropping up is this word brave. Back at the Belfry, now brave steps, talking with about what you've been doing with with your your life now and and also the children taking brave steps to to speak in front of people is that a thing for you brave being brave yes and i've not always been able to be brave uh, but but being courageous and i think i'm not saying that I'm, I'm some superhero i'm not but i have taken some brave steps over the years you know becoming a speaker that 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 risk that was involved was a brave step. Writing my book was a massive step. I did not know how this was going to impact on my life, but what got me through it was, you know what? It's not going to be as bad as losing your mum, or it's not going to be as bad as what your mum went through. So just do it, and whatever happens, roll with it. And and writing that book actually led to the start of the speaking career. And again, taking those brave steps. And in the more recent years, the the brave. Step, in fact, this one been very recent, just a few weeks ago. In fact, but the the big one for me was. When Mum's Killer died in 2020, I was asked to go on Sky News. In fact, I was asked to go on all the news channels because they, because they know where I am, basically, because I've got a website, I'm contactable. Anyway, I was making this uh, interview on all of them, and but I bravely called out West Yorkshire Police on the interview live in front of the nation on, on numerous occasions that day, and, uh, invited them to make a public apology for the language that was used at the time of mum's death and others, basically they, it wasn't until Jay MacDonald, the fifth person that he killed died that they came out and said, you've made a big mistake this time. Like the first four women weren't a mistake. So that misogynistic language, victim blaming language was shocking. And I didn't actually know this as a child as much as I did when I got to look, watch some of the recent documentaries. And that's when I decided I'm, I'm going to do something about this. And I wrote to West Yorkshire police, they ignored me. But then it was on national TV. I thought, no, I've got to do this. And uh, I wasn't angry. I just subtly invited them to make the apology. And we got that apology, uh, which I'm really grateful for. And um, again, making a difference in the world. But in, in more recent weeks, <clears throat> but there was a recent ITV drama. I was asked to go on the BBC. And I, I, in the pre-event, sorry, pre-interview, pre-interview interview, is that right? Yeah, researchers call. They asked me about the kind of things we're going to talk about. And then I asked them, can we not mention his moniker? So it's always known as, I'm not going to say the word, the Yorkshire second word begins with R and rounds with slipper. Okay. I said, can we not use that phrase? Because it doesn't do anything for the families. It only serves, it just kind of mythologizes him. And it's just, I told all my reasons why we shouldn't use it. Yeah, no problem. She came back to me, she said, oh, the editor is... Uh, just they can't do the interview without mentioning it at least once. So, so we've got to use that name so we know the name that you're unhappy with. So I said, you know what? what I'm, I'm not going to do the interview. Even though it was the day before, I said, and the booked hotels and everything, I said, I'm not going to do it. In principle, if we're not going to stop, stop using it, it's just never going to stop. I'm going to keep talking about not using it, but using it in the piece. So and I put the phone down. I thought, oh, what have I done? But I had to. I thought, I have got, I've got to do this. I'll take a stand. Anyway, they, they called me back within the hour. And as the hour passed by, they went, oh, no, they're not going to call back. Anyway, they eventually did. And they did the interview without mentioning that name that I really dislike. And, and that took some guts to do that, to, you know, hold my, hold my own and being prepared not to do the interview. And anyway, it paid off. And I'm in the process of writing my latest book, 
And I'm telling you what now, my latest book, the part of the deal, if I get it published, is his moniker will never be used in the book. I, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been looking, revisiting my very first book, Just a Boy, and it is throughout throughout the book. It's almost, you know, once because it's about my childhood and it's I use the moniker all the time. Uh, but we are talking 20 years ago and I've matured about that word and I was almost like pushed into allowing, just like it was by Netflix, sorry to get into this, I was pushed into uh, it by Netflix. I got involved in their drama, their documentary, which they called the R-I-P-P-E-R. -P -P they called it that name. And as when they announced that, I said, if you'd have told me that, I wouldn't have got involved. And I, another brave step, I did a press release and I put it out to the world about how unhappy I was and eight of the other families that were associated with his crimes. And um, and that, that took some guts as well. And I was contacted by Netflix. And Anyway, they, they, they did it, and I, I couldn't change it. But, uh, yeah, you're right to pick up on that. And I, I never really thought about that, that throughout my life there's been lots of moments where I've had to be brave and to dig deep and, and say I can, which is, I guess, the message behind my work, but I never thought about the bravery, that repeated theme. Uh, so, so thank you for bringing that to my attention. There's probably a newsletter to go out about that. Love that. Absolutely love that. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing why you do what you do. It really has been inspirational. And I can only say the, the next generation, the current generation, are lucky to have you in their world at this moment in time. So, yeah, pretty oh, thank special. You. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for allowing us to uh, to go in the direction we did, which was yeah. completely un uh, su surprising to me. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. How would people get in contact? How will they reach out to find you? What's the best way for that? Well, uh, richardvacan.co.uk. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter, I can speaker, and I'm on Instagram, Richard McCann Speaker. So that's the various ways you can get hold of me. And don't forget that book, the uh, Just a Man book, free to anybody that wants to contact me. Just come onto LinkedIn or find me and just say, send me a copy and I'll send you that. Amazing. Well, all of those links will go into the show notes. So thank you so much. Have you got some final words, please? Well, my, my I suppose my final words are the words that I would use when I'm speaking, which are if I can overcome the things that I've been through, and obviously we've not shared it all on here, but, you know, my mum was murdered by a serial killer and all those negative experiences throughout my life and prison, drugs, and I know that was my fault. But listen, if I can get through those challenges and, 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 and quite frankly, go on to, you know, achieve far more than I ever thought possible, particularly in my younger years, um, if I can, then you, your loved ones and your colleagues can too. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on Why.